0: Hello creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard.
1: We're doing it. We are recording. I I am I'm I am feeling I'm feeling scuba-pilled and <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the great propagandists at the Venetian Tourist Board have got to me. Uh, I am. I am ready.
0: And I know. I know we would. We said we would never take sponsors for this show, and it's and it's funded exclusively by our, our generous and wonderful Patreon supporters. Um, however, uh, the Tourism Board of Venice, as well as a now defunct scuba gear company from the early 1960s, are proudly sponsors of today's program.
1: Mhm. Absolutely. Uh thanks to thanks to them. Uh we are bringing you today's episode on 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 on, a, on an extremely extremely uh, strange very str- it's going to be a lot you guys. It's going to be a lot. But let let us let us buckle in. Um but before we start, a reminder that if you would like to if you would like to sponsor the show, if you would like to help <laughs> us delve into the canals of horror cinema. Uh, bringing up the most, uh, uh, the most, uh, the most unhinged, strange debris from our cultural backwash. Then you too can do that by signing up at the HV Patreon uh, for just a few bucks a month. You get early access to everything that we put out, monthly bonus episodes, and access to the HV Crypt, which is the spookiest Discord server on the podcasting left. Um, so do check out Patreon.com/slash Horror Vanguard. But with that out of the way. On with the show.
0: We're, we are moving fast today. look at us go. Now we're
1: getting're we're, get, we're getting better at this. who would have thought?
0: Yes, we're, we're, we''re so we're so skilled. it's almost like we're a man in a skull mask fleeing a man in a scuba suit.
1: Yes, I mean who 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 would have thought that after nearly two nearly 200 episodes we would have worked out pacing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well here's to us completely forgetting that one in the next episode.
1: Uh, Absolutely. But we are talking about a little-known and extremely strange bit of Italian cinema uh, from 1965, The Embalmer. Um, Technically. Technically. (laughs) That that, that may or may not be what we're actually talking about today. (laughs) Technically, that's what it is, um, but that may not be what we're actually talking about for reasons that we will get into. But before we do that... Given, given that this is kind of a sort of forgotten classic, um, I think it's probably, it's really important, actually. It's really important that we we, we kind of open the floor to uh, my friend uh, and yours, the co- co-ghost of the show, Ash, who is <laughs> very spookily going to explain <laughs> what technically the Embalmer is all about.
0: Uh, that, that, that was it, actually. It was just me, just me doing some ethereal, uh, ethereal whooshing noises. <laughs> <clears throat> what is the experience of film? How does one see a movie? What part of the act of seeing film is constructed by forces outside of the silver screen? Is there even an image on the screen outside of the one built in real time by viewership? The Embalmer is a film constructed by the insertion of a movie into over an hour of trailers, drive in, ad reels, and clips from vintage horror shows. The context of The Embalmer is irrevocably interwoven into the semiotic flow of images and sounds that surrounds it. The film is a celebration of form, history, and aesthetic, a reminder that the past is present and we can stand on equal footing with the nostalgic. The past is more than just a marketing gimmick. It is a shared set of cultural artifacts, memories, and events that were shaped by the hands of working people the world over. The American genre film archive, in their efforts to extract and preserve fading moments of cinema, is outlining a nostalgia against the nostalgic. Something I've been considering is what it feels like to experience this kind of rupture, if this is what it is. What is the moment to moment encounter that pushes individual experiences into new realms? Would we feel them in the moment, know them, or is this an experience that can only ever be defined in retrospect? Cinema is active, experiential, and something that wants to do something to your body. The rush of memories, the racing of hearts, the harrowing of souls. These SVHS fragments are the constructive elements of cinematic history. Some might argue that this is a mining of the past as as a way to convert fading memories into contemporary monetary gain, but I would argue we find something deeper, something richer here. What gets lost to the teleology of progress is often the culture of the discarded, working, othered, and marginalized when not absorbed into the hegemonic is thrown into the historic bin. The embalmer is a story of preservation, a historic display of that which the hegemon would otherwise wish dead but can never truly die. Join us as we unleash thousands of snakes into
1: the audience. Uh, warning, we are not responsible if any of the audience or listenership suffer from weak hearts, frail nerves, or shaky <laughs> constitutions. You have been warned.
0: Thirteen knives plunged into the head of an innocent listener? Question mark. <laughs> Uh, I got so many great reaction images from this film.
1: (laughs) Oh, so many, so many. um, uh, Sort of semi-infamously, the HV Twitter account is mostly known for the gif of the dancing skeleton. Yes, um, that's true. (laughs) Because that's basically how we conceive of ourselves. We We are joyful dancing skeletons going through the graveyard of contemporary capitalist modernity. But thank you. Thank you so much to the embalmer and to the... To the to the Benjaminian historians of Agfa, um, who, have, who have who have basically given us reaction images for the rest of the show's run. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, so this is I, I guess I guess let's uh, let's let the pr- proverbial uh, SVHS genie out of the bottle. Uh, so, so we're not really talking about the embalmer as much as we're talking about. Agfa's presentation of something weird videos, the embalmer. So we we have like three layers of cinematic history. There's the embalmer made in 1961. And at some point in the heyday of SVHS, which was three decades ago, the the heroes, the legends, and the saints at something weird uh, uh, had made an SVHS copy of the embalmer along with a bunch of other stuff. Which we'll get into, um, and then uh, the American Genre Film Archive uh, released this as a digital download.
1: I, I, I really, I really think that we should we should be as exp- as explicit as possible here. That like the work that Agfa do is genuinely incredible. Um, like I, I, I think it's such an invaluable service because it underscores the extent to which film is not the image is never permanent. The image is always. Uh, deeply fragile, and so much of cinema history, especially in the era of platform centralization and hegemonic control and vicious lobbying to change intellectual property and copyright law in their favor, has meant that in huge swathes of popular culture, you have no access to anything that was made beyond, like, 1970. Um, so, like, places like Ag- Agfa and, and and other sites, this is this is not just... This is not just like a cultural oddity that we're trying to talk about. I think it's it is a vital act of preserving and reconstituting the past here and now. Uh, and this is like a this is a weird this is a weird sandwich. Uh, it is, <laughs> and it's structurally it's really weird because there's like there's like four minutes of adverts and like teasers and like clips. Then there is like an hour and 20 minutes of a pretty shoddily dubbed Italian proto-giallo set in Venice. And then there is 40 minutes of more adverts and driving uh, clips uh, and and uh, s- scary shows coming live. So that's that's what we're dealing with. Um, and there's, there's so much going on here. So we should, wh- where where do you want to begin with all of this?
0: Where where to even start? Well, we should we should begin, I, I suppose, with with uh, some formalist embalming of our own. Uh, we we should we should seek to preserve that which is dead eternally by commenting on the formal aspects of uh, this strange bit of cinema.
1: And and let me just let, let me let me just stress: this is a film that is set in Venice, um, although. Every character sounds like a, a kind of New York wise guy. <laughs> it's, it's like, hey, I'm in a gondola here. What, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the dubbing, the dubbing is 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 one not technically that that great, mostly because of the limitations of the time, but also uh, some choices were made by this dubbing, and I'm really curious to know what you think about them.
0: I I love it. I think I think one one of the interesting things about the embalmer is this is like this is a proto gialli from the early nineteen sixties filmed filmed obviously in Venice, and one of the things that really interests me about the kind of I guess retro aspects of how Agfa has presented the embalmer, um, is that if you would have tried to do what a lot of other like. Because there are other like uh, companies that that try to press and release these older movies, and I, and I love them all for the record, like Aero Video and Vinegar Syndrome and Severin and stuff like that. They're releasing such good stuff. Um, but like you know, you could have done you could have done this differently. Where it's a Blu-ray, and you get your like 4K HD scan from the original interpositive of the Embalmer. Uh, complete with the works and special uh, features and interviews and all of that and and package edits its its own thing or you can have this like weird svhs rip with all this random ad reel soaked into it and i think the kind of like awkward and dodgy dubbing that 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 goes into this film does just kind of like it's like a bow it's a bow on a little birthday package for the special birthday boy
1: um, yeah, Which is me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should, we should. I can't believe I forgot to flag this up at the beginning. It is, it is that it is the most wonderful time of the year. Every month in our in our respective birthday months, we choose. We get the the special birthday boy gets to choose the episode, and it is it is Ash's birthday episode. So, uh, I, I hope everyone listening will send Ash happy birthday wishes. <laughs> just just blow up. Uh, Ash's Twitter mentions. Um but I actually I actually really agree with you and I think I think there's a kind of slight downside to the dubbing which I will get into but I also like the fact that there's a deliberate imperfection to all of this. And it's like Oh yeah. We've talked about this so much but I still think it's so true which is that fidelity to a perfection or an idealized vision of the real um completely often negates the capacity of horror to really impact us like in in a very strange way often it's the horror that we know that isn't real that is the most effective at reaching into our real conscious mind um stuff that looks looks like too real kind of there's a bit of our brain that goes that's fake you know like greater oh, sophistication yeah. greater fidelity of image actually removes a lot of the atmosphere and kind of like effective intensity of of like older cinema
0: uh, yeah i was thinking about that while watching the embalmer too you, you could absolutely take the footage from the embalmer and and recut it and recontextualize it in a way that's like i, I listen to a lot of like found footage horror podcasts and you could 100 take the, the the physical material from the embalmer recut it and and use it as like oh my god I found this this archival footage in the basement of a library in Venice about this unsolved you know c- serial killing and like 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 spiral down a rabbit hole from there like like the fact that it's like grainy and awkward and you know clearly permanently bound to a certain set of like you know, to temporally bound technologies. I think allows it to carry forward to our present day, like attempting to kind of reconstitute this thing based on modern standards. It would lose a lot of that gravitas that it has from being so historic.
1: Yeah. And in fact, it's imperfections actually probably help in loads of ways, right? The fact that the film quality is not great means that shadows can kind of flicker. uh, Lighting is not not never perfect and completely stable, uh, you know, there are there are moments where the pacing is very very slow so it means that reveals actually have kind of more impact i think i think i think weirdly the dubbing and everything that kind of surrounds it uh, contributes to it being what it is
0: oh 100% yeah yeah you, this is like like conceptually speaking bad dubbing is of course it was it was it was a a budget necessity right you want to quickly get your movie into as many languages as possible to maximize your roi after making a film and how are you going to do that you're going to pay no one for any kind of localization so it's just this weird dub and i think after after decades of of experiencing that like the bad dub is is its own cultural thing you know like the the bad dub is part of the cinematic landscape and it's in in a way it's become its own formal formalized standard right like you know you can utilize the conceptual framework of the bad dub to to elevate and transform a piece of cinema
1: yeah exactly and so this this uh this film which has basically makes makes it brings up an interesting point about where this film happens right the the bad hmm. dubbing and it's like it happens in venice but this this is these are clearly not venetians that are talking to you as a as an english language watching member of the audience you're being spoken to uh, in the way that most of the, most of the people who saw this film when it was released in the states would have spoken themselves, so there is a kind of it's operating on the imagined image of what Venice is, which mm-hmm. which in a way makes this kind of like it happens in Venice, but really this could be happening anywhere as long as you know sort of what Venice is supposed to be, right?
0: Oh, totally. And and so, what do you what do you think about? venice as setting
1: oh my goodness i i <laughs> i i have i have many thoughts about this but um which we will get into a bit more when we talk about um the discourse and how um how this film thinks about history particularly in venetian oh history. my god yes <laughs> uh but basically i think it is the thing that Giali and uh, Giali films and film noir particularly is very good at is that it understands cinema as a fantasy. Um, It's it it never tries to be kind of quote unquote real or mimetically real in any given sense, but rather is a projection of fantasy, a -hmm. a, a literal projection of, of, of the, of fantasy uh, and therefore a space in which various anxieties and libidinal impulses can kind of play out um oh yeah and i think it's very interesting that they decide to use venice as the location and maybe that was for practical reasons you know like getting some money from the venetian tourist board but also (laughs) but also it ties into venice's own fantasy about itself as a as a as a as a a psychogeographic space within the cultural imagination of an american audience
0: Venice. Oh uh, ab- absolutely. V- yeah, Venice, yeah, I, I,
1: Venice is romantic. It's tied up in love. It's tied up in like uh heightened emotion and and, uh, and history. Uh wh- what about you?
0: Well, I, I mean I, I just think like v- visually speaking too, like there there's a, there's no other city on earth like Venice, really. I mean like you know there's a lot of similar places but, but this kind of like you know you've got you've got the kind of like uh, like like the the Italian villa has so much cultural weight to it visually, right? It's, it's got this beauty and this history, but also like to just, just the right amount of danger and intrigue, you know, like, like that, that beautiful couple sipping wine, maybe one of them's a spy, you know, like it's got that kind of energy to it. And then Venice, you, you, you take that villa and you're, you literally float it on all these canals and waterways. And so, when it comes to like filming a movie, like you pack a lot of visual interest into a space when you use Venice. Yeah. Speaking um, speaking of uh, utilizing Venice, how do you feel about scuba equipment?
1: Um. <laughs> 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 well, I was just gonna I was just gonna kind of point out that like isn't isn't this film basically like the mass cultural equivalent of like a Fellini movie? I was just I was just checking to make sure my I have my dates uh, in the right order because uh, this is sixty five, but like mm-hmm. when's when's like Fellini's making things like uh, La Dolce Vita, uh, 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 Juliet of the Spirits comes out the same year, like it's and he has this period of like Italian neo neo realism which is like super popular. So it's, mm-hmm. so it's so funny that you have this kind of like idealized image of Italy that gets projected. And then you have like this kind of dark, the gialli emerges as like the dark, twisted shadow to it. Um, and yet, obviously in Venice, we have to talk about scuba diving.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think just really quickly to your point, like this this is very clearly in dialogue with American action serials. Yes. You know, the, this this is effectively the entirety of the Crimson Ghost minus the cyclotrode, crammed into like just over an hour. Yeah. And and I think you know, like this is this is part of that like p- post-war condition, right? There's a lot more like global flux of culture now.
1: Oh, completely, completely, yeah.
0: But anyway, uh, let's let's uh, uh, brief discourse into technology, teleology, and. Um, being, being able to, to breathe underwater as if you were some kind of amphibian.
1: Yes, a self-contained underwater breathing apparatus.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I, I think there's a market potential for that. Maybe like as an NFT. Go on.
1: <laughs> so, um, of course, our mysterious uh, monster in this is a scuba diving uh, monster that drags women uh, into its lair, as it were. Uh what do you think about the role of scuba
0: so i think i think the role the role of scuba in this is really intriguing um because it's our hero that emerges from scuba like 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 there's a lot of like uh, scuba action in, in in a weird way like like this is this is an attempt to to take this kind of emerging technology, you, you, you know, like it, it very much has that vibe of like, oh, we know a guy who who has this weird stuff and and he wants to be in one of those big, big fancy movies. So he's going to let us borrow his scuba equipment.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does. It does, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my, my my friend's cousin works for the jet ski dealership so we can have some jet skis for our movie. It's, it's he, that kind of
1: energy. And he's a good looking guy, so maybe we can put him in the film. <laughs> mm-hmm
0: yeah, yeah, I, I think, I mean, like, oh my God, I, I, have, I have a lot to say about scuba, but but I'll, I'll, I'll save my opinions for we have two scuba sections in today's notes.
1: <laughs> the only point that I want to make is, given, given that we, kind of, we are talking about technology, is the ways in which this is a very modern technology put deliberately into an, an anachronistic historical setting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: right there's something hugely anachronistic about what this killer is trying to do and where they are and mm-hmm. the, te- the the technology by which they kind of get what they want right um and this ties into the bigger technological question of vhs and, and film preservation itself
0: yeah, and I think I think this is this is one of the things that I wanted to bring up in the formalism too, right? Like this this survived as a copy of an SVHS from something weird video, um, SVHS stands for Super VHS. Um, it was a short-lived attempt to ramp up VHS capability in the same way that DVD to Blu-ray kind of transitioned, um, but just like so many of these other technologies a- along the way, it didn't it didn't click very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of use of like SVHS master copies, you know, for, for the mass production of video, but like as a commercial or yeah, like a technology for the public, it never really, never, never really took off. And I think one of, one of the, in like, this is so true for, for, for so many archival spaces, but the technology we need to access the media that we create, um, as we lose that technology, we, we lose the ability to commune with our past, right? This, this, this kind of illusion of constant progress, this teleology that we create. Um, it, it's, not, it's not just we're, oh, we're always getting faster iPhones and, and, okay, 4K, now 8K and 16K. But part of this rapid transition means we're just like abandoning heaps of technology. You know, so, you know I'm still still watching Logistics.
1: uh can i can i just can we get a check in how many hours in are you
0: um uh, so it's hard to keep count um but i'm on hour 16 of day 13 oh boy (laughs) Each, each day is not a full 24 hours but each day since like day three or four has been a full 24 hours
1: okay okay
0: so i'm I'm hundreds of hours in now um and currently it's almost an entirely blue screen, which is making me think of uh derek Jarman's blue mm-hmm. yeah uh so weird weird vibes today in the logistics factory um, <laughs> but one of the things like, I've been thinking about with logistics is like like the whole point of this movie is it's a journey of front, of a pe- of a pedometer from the factory in boan in which it's made to the store in Sweden that's selling it mm-hmm. and and this 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 was filmed years ago now, so like that kind of pedometer might even be useless today. It might not even be able to integrate with cont- contemporary apps and and that kind of technology. And like it got me thinking about like like the iPad iP- or iPod Nano and the Zune mm-hmm. and all those little like off-brand pocket MP3 players and pocket CD players and Walkmans and like and this is just like music technology. This is such a small sliver of 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 this overarching phenomenon that like through this rapid progress where we just effectively the, the progress is an illusion for a system designed to just make garbage it just makes garbage 5 years ahead of schedule yes yeah, yeah and and as and like when it comes to archival work for art like there are types of film that you cannot record on anymore right there there are, there are visual technologies that we have lost access to right and and like and then there are other there are other great examples of like major studios and film companies holding the rights to just tons of movies and doing nothing with them
1: yeah just keeping them in a vault keeping them in a vault where where you can't see them
0: yeah Uh, and and that's really the 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 vault exists just to generate this kind of artificial scarcity for these films so maybe one day there'll be a viral interest and they could do a re-release or something
1: I actually think you've tied, you've you've hit into something that's actually super important and is a marker in so many ways of contemporary capitalism, which is the imposition of artificial scarcity in order to artificially inflate prices. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And this this this, in a sense, is completely what um, is completely congruent with what Mark Fisher said, talking about the fact that capitalism does not create wealth; it does not create abundance. It is actually the block. It is the means by which gen- what he called red plenty is, is genuinely blocked. And that doesn't just happen on the economic level. That happens on the cultural level, almost especially.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, NFTs, I think, are an interesting related topic to discuss. But the, the fundamental concepts behind an NFT are nothing new. No. You, you know, like, the, this is just a way to enclose more public artistic space. And extract more value from things that just weren't having their value extracted. Like like the the, the same philosophical principles behind a JPEG of a monkey selling for $10 million are, are nearly identical to, to the only cans of a specific film living in a Warner vault that will one day burn down and we'll lose it forever.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which which makes like the moments of encounter with something like the Embama so, it, or, I mean, haunting is really the, it's like, it is looking, it's its looking, it's a window into the past, right? It, but a past which is kind of far stranger than we think because it runs against the grain of the 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 kind of easy, progressive, evolutionary narrative that we're told about how things work as we move from the past into the future. And this is why it's physical construction, this kind of piecing it together not just practically, but formally, in like like splicing oh, yeah. this this stuff together is so is so fascinating.
0: Oh well, I, I I completely agree, right? Like this is this is bordering on an act of detournement, right? Like like this is this is taking all of these cultural bits and reassembling them in a way that this constructed package of the embalmer almost mocks what like um disney's from the vault the embalmer would look like
1: yes absolutely um and uh, this 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 kind of spliced together melange this montage of trailers of footage from drive-in of like ad reels um is both really it makes the break into the film really jarring but the whole thing has a kind of unity or totality which is much greater than just seeing the film by itself would be sitting through and watching the entire thing is a really different experience than just kind of watching the black and white 80 minute italian giallo right
0: oh absolutely there's almost a a connection to the act of archival work itself in this you know, watch watching this, you, it it almost feels as if you accidentally discover the embalmer amidst this kind of jetsam and flotsam of cinematic advertisement.
1: Yeah, you stumble into it. You stumble into it, which is what makes it so powerful.
0: <clears throat> mm-hmm. And 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 the material that's structured around it too, I think, is like like I I, I have all of the downloads from the Agfa home video download <laughs> webpage, and a lot of them are are they release mixtapes, which are are just like these chopped up cuts of old random ad reels and trailers and interviews and tv clips and just all kinds of stuff but 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 the way it kind of recontextualizes meaning and it and it not only reflects on the 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 kind of historic weight of of like you you know like the the old school drive-in popcorn ad right and like it, it, and like oh, like, oh my god, there's so much to talk about here. <laughs> I'm trying to like, I'm trying to focus, but I want I want to talk about like the loss of drive-ins as as a way of of further like losing the concept of public space.
1: Well, and, actually, and, oh, this ah, is this ah. is this is actually super important. So I think we should yeah. kind of let, let us exit the formalism zone and yes, stumble please. into the into the <laughs> submerged the underwater monastery of discourse. Um, <laughs> And I, I think what you're hitting on is really important. And this is something that I was going to put in the notes, but when you write it out, it feels a little bit silly. But the the notion of this kind of film as is, is, is a sort of utopianism.
0: Oh, 100%. No, I completely agree with this.
1: Right? Because it comes from the era of the drive-in, this uh, the era of the small cinema, the era of like genuinely mass access
0: mm-hmm. to
1: to an exciting, innovative art form. Um. And you can you can say that a lot of it was like kitsch, a lot of it was in bad taste, and you go, fine, whatever. But the fact is there was a level of access and distribution um, that doesn't exist anymore. Right? Looking like there's... Mm-hmm. there's and, and you're right, not only is it about public space, it's about kind of community cinemas were really common. Um, this idea of like, it might be the first place where you could make a film and get it seen on the big screen... You know, yep. if you if you wanted to be in the film industry, you might make a kind of cheap horror movie or, like, uh, a softcore soft girly movie in the 50s and 60s, and it would be, like, the first thing that you did. So, like, there is something, there is something, like, uh, I, I sort of feel like the sort of meme of, like, return, return to, <laughs> like, uh, reject, reject modernity, which is, like, the Disney Plus behemoth and em- embrace tradition which is like grindhouse the drive-in the horror movie uh the 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 ad reels that constantly go before and after making everything seem like a slightly hallucinogenic montage of terror <laughs> like l- look what's been taken from us
0: <laughs> no no i i i i completely agree and like i think it's like film has always i was i was talking with a friend about this last night but one of the things that kind of just just fascinates me about film and one of the most beautiful things about it as an art form and is is that it's got this mystique of being deeply inaccessible you know you watch you watch like a major studio movie and it's got a budget in the hundreds of millions of dollars it makes it costs more money to make than everyone i have ever met combined will ever have And, and it's got hundreds of thousands or hundreds or thousands of employees and workers and craftspeople on the film. But then like, but then I think about Evil Dead. (laughs) And then it's, it's, it's just a bunch of like goofs putting together a movie, you know, and I I think about all of these, like, you know, like Damon Packard's Dawn of an Evil Millennium. I I think about all of these, like. Um, Michael Snow's movies are in like corridor and things like that. So you've got stuff all the way from like, like, like this kind of like crass horror all the way up to like high art, deeply, you know, considerate experimentalism. And, and all of these films are made, maybe not, you know, they, 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 certainly all require skills that need to be acquired and theoretical perspectives that need to be acquired but the actual cost of making the, those films that I just mentioned are accessible in, in, in a way and and I think that's that's one of the beauties of cinema is that like you know like the, this art form is is and can be very much in our hands. It, we just happen to live in a system that's like very hostile to to like the kind of temporal investment that's needed for like somebody who just wants to make a movie for the fun of it to go out and do it.
1: Yes, absolutely. And like, and and I think you've you are expressing something super important here, which is like, yes, lots of it was like cheap titillation and like gore and violence and like, oh, it's gonna it'll so scary, but like loads of it was a space for experimentation for for formal and technical innovation that very very swiftly was kind of glommed onto by the mainstream. And a lot of it was um, was, as you say, a lot more democratic and a lot more accessible than filmmaking now. Like the idea of like, um, you know, you, you, you're completely right. It's one of the it's one of the gen, genuinely beautiful things about about film is that increasingly it's become something that everyone everyone could do if they wanted to. But the means of actually exploring and making work have have never really been more difficult, as it becomes more and more centralised and controlled uh ever more closely as a like a, as a commodity that has to return profit
0: yeah ab- absolutely right like it's it's like it's incredibly difficult to to put together a movie right and like get it get, get into a position where the few small time theaters that still exist will screen your film you know and then of course like you could upload it to youtube or vimeo and and try and get some viral success but even for that, like you have to make something that the algorithm's going to enjoy, right? That's a that's an exercise of marketing acumen, or or just sheer coincidence if that happens, right? There, there are plenty of like some of the best cutting edge horror that I've seen in the last like fifteen years is stuff that's on YouTube, stuff yeah. that's never ever ever going to make it to Netflix or Amazon Prime or Shutter or or like you know Marcus Cinema like and and but it's going to in some ways like the access that people can have to this is going to languish because digital technology is like oh youtube youtube is a cursed and haunted domain so social media bad
1: <laughs> but there, i i don't disagree but it's also important to point out that there are opportunities within it right there are, oh absolutely there, yeah there are opportunities within it and i think this kind of film this kind of this kind of like object this 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 uh, this uh, text um, is 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 just invaluable for reminding us of the um, kind of joy of stumbling across something that where you look at it and you go, "I could do that and not in a not in a way that's Tally. kind of de- denigrating, but in a way that kind of excites you about the, participa- the about the participatory potential of doing something creative
0: yeah I used to um I used to design and work in like haunted attractions and like one of the most fun and exciting things of that was like I I would just be watching a bad horror movie and I would see some like sequence some practical effects and I would just just think like okay how can I like how can I achieve that as a gag in a haunted house yeah right and um
1: and, and yeah this is this is this is one of the kind of really really sort of lovely things about this film um and it's 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 also got a really interesting relationship to, to, to history. Yes. Not, um, and So the thing the thing that I want to point out is that there's a really famous quote by Edgar Allan Poe, which is the, um, I'm paraphrasing, but like there's no more poetical sight than a beautiful dead woman, which is essentially the premise of this film. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: But it's so interesting that this film projects an image of Venice and it's that image of Venice that draws in the people who become this killer's victims, right? They come because they're seduced by this image of history, this beautiful, this beautiful, frozen, unchanging image of history, and then that is what they become themselves.
0: Yeah, I, I think, I think this is this is just such a a good and interesting point here, because um, okay, so there's like there are, there are so many layers to Agatha's presentation of the embalmer. You know, because the embalmer—it's about a crimson ghost-looking bad guy. He's a, he's wearing a cloak and he has a skull mask, and he he abducts these kind of beautiful women on the streets of Venice and then embalms them using cutting-edge embalming technology to to forever fix them in, in a specific moment in time. And that, to me, was one of the things I really keyed into here because there's there's our villain, you know, attempting to freeze people in, in their historical essence, and then there's the embalmer and all of these ad reels and something weird video and agfa and like, like these the, are these kind of like geological striations of the same thing, right? Right. These things just moving through historical contexts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's very telling, isn't it? That agfa have, have put out something which shows the, constructedness of history the very artificiality Mm -hmm. of what they're doing and this is a film about literal the violent imposition of of that artificial stasis
0: yeah yep Mm -hmm. it's 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 such a it's such a wonderful meta commentary on on the fixity of history and how we choose to perceive it Mm
1: -hmm. absolutely absolutely
0: but another thing I think is really interesting about the kind of construction here in terms of discourse is it creates like a metagothic aesthetic because mm-hmm. you have you have the gothic aesthetic within the embalmer itself. And then also within a lot of these ad reels, um, you know, because a lot of them are ad reels for spook shows and haunted attractions and horror movies and, and, the, and the like um so so there's that level of the gothic aesthetic right what we would like read as and perceive as like the standard aesthetic of the gothic these these iconographic sets of subterranean passageways and skeletons and ghosts but then there's like there's a metagothic construction here you know we talked about this 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 earlier but the film itself is subterranean yeah it's it's buried in in all of this random archival footage it's it's almost hidden you know
1: uh yes absolutely Absolutely, and this is this is why. Really, this is this is a, a again. It feels a bit weird calling it a, f- a film because that suggests it's kind of like s- straightforward in certain ways, which it mm-hmm. which it really isn't. Um, this is a text which is about literally the creation of history itself. Yeah, it um, is. It is a it is a, a gothicized window into the past, and it's. It, you know if we think about this in terms of the technology and the production of film as a commodity, then this is this is a a gothic Marxist way of thinking about things.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think if, if if ever oh ever there was a theoretical framework with which to apply to a given piece of cinema it's using gothic marxism on this presentation of the embalmer.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think you're right. It's a it is a it's a metagothic, right? It's a it's gothicizing cultural history. But that's precisely precisely why it's important to do it because in so doing you actually learn about cultural history and cultural production in a brand new way.
0: Absolutely. And I think so we're we're living through a period in time where I think you know, so so capital is all about extraction, right? It needs to find a new resor- set of resources and then and then hyper extract that un- until uh, like, like a vampire, you know, sucking down a victim. There's nothing left to take. And this also happens on a cultural level too. And I think right now, the past is is being just just hyper extracted and mined. And one, one of the consequences of that is that nostalgia has never been more marketable, mm-hmm. you know, like, like it may, maybe it's starting to wane a little bit today or maybe we're just, we're just so lost in the noise of the crescendo that I'm numb to it. But like, it, you know, every, every childhood memory and toy and trend has been repackaged in a way to attempt to make it digestible once more for people who are now adults and i think that agfa's presentation of the embalmer almost does anti-nostalgia because i was considering this while watching it like like oh i i don't really have a meaningful na- nostalgia like 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 this is all from decades before i was born you know, like, I can't be nostalgic for this stuff. You, you, you know, it's, it's, it's not a home I can never return to. It's a home that I've never known. Um, but there, there, there could have been an attempt to make this nostalgic. Play play all the drive-in ad reel when, you, when before the movie starts. Try to recreate the drive-in experience. Throw, throw an intermission in there. Like, really milk it. Really try yeah. to recreate this nostalgic yeah. cinematic essence. But instead, we get a cacophony of imagery and sound. You know, we, we, we get a raw encounter with like just just having a, a crate full of reels and attempting to decipher all of this stuff.
1: Precisely. And this is the thing about nostalgia. Nostalgia, um, nostalgia actually takes you away from history itself because it necessarily, by virtue of what it is, um, restages. But in that restaging... It has altered its content and form. It, it is, as you said, a kind of sanitizing of history. Right? This does not This You go... In a way, this doesn't really kind of feel like a 60s movie because we have a shared nostalgic idea of what the 60s, quote-unquote, should look like or should mm. s- sound like. And this is weirder. It's stranger. It is deliberately alienating. And so by kind of alienating us from nostalgia, it returns us to history it returns us to actually struggling with the impermanence and contingency of cultural production.
0: Yes, yeah, this is this is a forced reencountering with like the actual physical material that constitutes nostalgia. Yes. You, you know like this this isn't like you, you know I'm nostalgic for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universal Monsters toy line. You, you know, like I, I had those as a kid. They were like some of my favorite toys. I have fond memories of playing with the werewolf Leonardo figurine. But like th- the embalmer equivalent of that is is just opening up a box of like mulched plastic figurines. You know, like like you're encountering like the raw material of your nostalgia and, and it does a really good job of, I, I think forcing confrontation.
1: Yeah, cuz because really what nostalgia kind of misses is the utopian element of history which is like like it it wasn't the toy itself, right? It was everything that was bound up with that toy yes. which is which is mm-hmm. the reason that why we love it, why we feel nostalgic. So when we're sold the kind of quote-unquote new version, it's yep. inher- it's inherently and necessarily unsatisfying, but for reasons we can't articulate by critiquing the thing itself. Right, Mm -hmm. We we go, well, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just not, it's not the same.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely. It's not that that things have changed. It's that actually this idea of like, oh, here's another thing that is like the thing you like. Why don't you like it is the Mm -hmm. question that so many kind of film productions go through. And it's because you haven't Mm -hmm. understood why people form kind of aesthetic and emotional attachments to something in the first place.
0: Yeah, like like in so in so many ways nostalgia is like a broken specter. Right? It's it's this shadow of yourself that you see through this mist of haze and light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you know, like you, you were you were so right. It's, it's it's never these things themselves. It's it's always this confluation of other stuff. And so when you get like the Funko Pop equivalent of something you're nostalgic for, it's it's uh, there's this haunting pain that can't be satisfied there because even Precisely. if you Precisely. Even if you held the, the 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 item that you're nostalgic for again, even if you returned to your childhood home or, or whatever whatever the nostalgia's for, you can never go back. Everything has changed, right? Like the, all of the fundamentals that created the moment and memories. Like n- n- nostalgia is in, in so many ways, in insofar as it's predicated upon a pleasant memory of the past, it's also predicated upon the insatisfactory and painful present.
1: Yes, and actually, it aligns that pain, and that pain is 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 important because, the, like, uh, I think I think sometimes I come off as being as being very kind of critical and being quite negative, and I think that's true up to a point. <laughs> but but the po- the point the the reason for it is not just to kind of be ne- negative or be a miserableist for no reason, but to actually point out that with this kind of nostalgia and this kind of like retro fetishism the endless recycling of commodities is actually taking us away from what makes culture exciting which yes. is its, yep. which is its ability to kind of bring us back to the new to bring us back to the stuff of history to bring us back to the stuff of consciousness and so like what you're completely right this unassuaged pain is entire is so important because it's a recognition of the insufficiency of the present and the way to kind yep. of deal with that is not to go Oh, I wish things could be like they were, but to go actually, how do we make what we have in front of us now better in the future?
0: Absolutely, I was thinking. Oh my god, I was thinking, so the later half of the embalmer is 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 this psychedelic strobe of 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 just just like cards from horror ads or horror yeah. show <laughs> advertisements. <laughs> That's so and good. Like, like I I I I was feeling so good while watching that because because it's just like this is this is candy for me this is like pure saccharine enjoyment it's like chugging Fago and like so I'm, I'm I'm watching this and it makes me think about nostalgia right like 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 this like oh like like what if you know like the past and how good things were and okay they were never really that good this is a this is a forced reconstruction but then like you know the inverse of that like what if I could go to bed one day knowing that I'm going to wake up. And feel just as good as I did, you know, like, like that kind of liberation. And that necessarily has to move through some pain, right? Like that, that has to, that has to like shed away all this burnt flesh that we've accreted. And I think in, in the weirdest, most unexpected way possible, this, this MP4 file accomplished.
1: <laughs> yeah, completely. I like it. Cause it's like, it, this is what I mean when, it says, when I say this film is in a way forces you to reckon with history because you kind of have to go, what I remember isn't like this, which means the f- it isn't about recreating an idealized image, but we could, what if we could make new and really good culture instead of endlessly circling around the same set of texts and concerns?
0: absolutely yeah yeah and what if what if we could also because there's also like this this liberation for the dead that goes on here right like like this isn't this isn't just a repackaging of the embalmer that movie that you're nostalgic for that there's hype about this is this is a re-engagement with the embalmer this is this is a resurrection this is giving a film a second chance and a new life
1: and it's giving that new life to like Doctor Satan and his traveling yeah. carnival, carnival of cursed souls, and uh, <laughs> I think I think there was a Doctor Hell as well.
0: <laughs> Amazing! Uh, all I'm, of that stuff is just perfect.
1: I've got to ask, where are all these people doing their PhDs? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Doctor Satan and Doctor Hell. Um, I I would love I would love if there was funding at whatever university <laughs> you're at. Um, you know, unless it's Ivy League, um, I won't I won't stoop that low.
1: Uh, but tch. get in touch. <laughs> but no, you're completely right. It it is it it is a it's a redemption of the dead. Right? It's it's rescuing rescuing our cultural history from the stultifying morass of capitalist extractivism and capitalist realism and actually bringing it back to us in a way that is deliberately uh alienating that is that is uh, almost brechtian it kind of shakes us out of ourselves and goes you know look at what culture was and then look at how you have been told cinema has has been yep oh yeah
0: what would, you, what, would you, what would you want to do next in, in our discussion? We're, we're running up close to an hour, but oh, we have so much fun yet to have.
1: Uh, well, let's, let's, should we, I think to cap things off, we should probably go back to scuba diving.
0: <laughs> yes, we, we need to return to the sea, like our, our primordial ancestors. We must degrow these limbs and regrow those gills in order to properly engage today's film.
1: So you said you were saving some takes. What a give Give me some scuba knowledge.
0: I was not expecting scuba to show up in this movie, um, and it feels it feels like a weird thing in the film. Like it, it, at, at no point in the course of the embalmer does it feel normal that they're scuba diving around, and I love that. You know, like, like th- that would have made sense if this was the Frogman of Venice or something or, or like killer from the deep or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's just kind of there. And and like, like there's something there's something fascinating about that. And, and I don't know if it was the context of this film, the fact that it feels like I found I, I found an old master copy from from like uh, so some kind of studio that just had a bunch of random ad reel because they wanted to make, you know, use of all of the tape. <laughs> but like, you know, like, so I'm thinking about like history and context and placement and like, <clears throat> sure, various types of people being able to be underwater for longer than you can hold your breath has existed for hundreds of years or if not more. <clears throat> but like the, the contemporary scuba technology, underwater submarines, like these are these are all post-war inventions.
1: Well, well, they they were war, they were. Oh, yeah. In yeah. The war, right. They were utilized yep. in the war. Um, not in the form that we now know them, but like, they're technologies that were driven by warfare.
0: Exactly, and in World War, I mean, like, because sure, there there, were, there was a submarine that attacked ships in the American Civil War, but to to get to what today we would recognize as this technology, you have to fast forward to like World War II. Yeah, and and, and like, especially because this this is the European context, and this is like. Italy which is one of the countries that suffered a lot of warfare during World War II. And and so you get this kind of like you, you know like like in, in America like scuba diving is a hobby and and a and a rescue service or perhaps an archaeological thing, you know, but like there there's not much of a threat from the deep, you know. And and like I I think there's an interesting historic placement there.
1: Yes. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the historic placement. And to do that, we should probably talk about Operation Bola. Yes. So, uh, Venice generally escaped quite a lot of damage during the war, mostly Mm -hmm. because of its artistic and historic reputation. Um, during, uh, the Italian campaign in 1945, Allied High Command decided that an attack on Venice was necessary. It was called Operation Bola because, uh, the wing commander who uh, led the air raid on on Venice said that when they were bowler hatted, you know, returning to civilian life, they would not want to remember that they had blown up irreplaceable artistic treasures. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an attack upon Venice's harbor, and one of the facilities that was destroyed was a frogman training facility where the Germans were training scuba divers. Oh my
0: god! Oh my god! The embalmer goes so deep.
1: I feel like I've just sort of blown your mind a little bit.
0: <laughs> that, that, that really blows the lid off of understanding the, this film. It's a resurgence of this kind of fear of Nazi takeover.
1: Yeah, I, I, right. Contemporary contemporary wartime technology in the middle of this architectural and artistic uh, historical treasure. You know, this idea of um, uh, uh, this new te- this this new kind of technology being used to enact a very old kind of violence. Uh, against women like uh, and of course the, the historical context of the, the you know the traumas of within memory right this was the 60s oh yeah so yeah. like this is still still living memory
0: yeah and like the, the, the you know like when when you think about when this movie came out too in the early 60s like the oldest people that would not have a living memory of world war ii are teenagers you know, and even that is a little questionable, right? Because that, that's like, okay, do we count official end dates for the war when there's still violence and historical repercussions actively happening? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's very much in that cultural moment. And, and I think, it, you know, watching it again today, like this is something I always talk about and I'm going to keep talking about it. But like, you, you know, like there's this, there's this history is much longer, but also always present, you know we're still in these cultural moments you know we're still in these historical arcs you know to 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 use a disney fied parlance uh the metaverse of the history that we all share is is still on its long season arc you know we haven't completed a lot of these narratives
1: okay, if you ever say something like that again, i'm never i <laughs> i, I I'm, I'm I'm never doing this show with you. Ever. <laughs> I that was such a that was such a beautiful point and now I'm so mad at you.
0: <laughs> I know it's such a good point using the worst possible example. Uh
1: but yeah, this is this I think is really the key to unlocking unlocking the uh the 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 the, the uh, operation operation bowler uh which destroyed a, hu- a human torpedo and frogman training facility.
0: God, that's so. Wild. And even like the embalming technology itself is still historically very recent. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, like everything that goes on in this movie is such an engagement with these with these kind of historical revelations of the technology of death. <laughs>
1: that, I'm sorry, that's that is a, that's a, that's a great line. I I think I think we should we should wrap it there. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's, there's, there's nothing else we could do. Okay, we, we're gonna we're gonna return to our uh, Venetian. The state that we record from and enjoy, and enjoy the sights of men in skull masks emerging from the depths.
1: But it, I think this is just proof once again that actually, you know, that we we talk a lot about Walter Benjamin um, over the last kind of few years, and this method of historiography, right, of cul- of cultural criticism, of of seeing in the the minutia, seeing in stuff which is discarded, something that isn't just valuable, but actually kind of unlocks a great deal about uh, both the past and the present that we exist within. Um, And I just like, let's, I just want to finish by, by saying again, like the work of Agfa and other um, kind of film archival uh, sites and distributors is so important for allowing us to do this.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like, so many of the movies I pick, I wouldn't have ever had any access to if it wasn't for these groups and these companies. And like, what a what a strange and and infinitely interesting world in which we find ourselves.
1: <laughs> um, so, any any final thoughts then on the embalmer? Anything else that you wanna you wanna bring up? As this is your this is your birthday episode.
0: Uh, you know, I'm I am entirely satisfied. I won't, I won't, I won't inflict micro nostalgia on myself by trying to chase the glory of this hey.
1: conversation.
0: <laughs> uh, but you know, thank you, thank you, everyone, for enjoying yet another episode of Horror Vanguard, and we will continue to bring out quality film analysis um, ad infinitum into the future until we're bought by Warner and they use the latest in computer technologies to re- replicate our voice and release forty-five episodes a day. <laughs> until that moment. Thank you, everyone. Uh, And enjoy enjoy this slice of birthday cake. I'm handing you through the screen. (laughs) We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.